Hello, this is Gary Hutchins with the Sunny Slope Church of Christ in Omaha, Nebraska. Welcome to our Wednesday night Bible class. We're podcasting a Bible class each Wednesday evening, posted at this time, 6.30, and that's the time that we come together at the Sunny Slope Church of Christ right here in Omaha. But we know that not everybody, even in the Omaha area, can be with us at that particular time on that particular evening. And we know that other people are listening. They want to be in God's Word. They want to study in other parts of the country and literally around the world. So we're thankful that we have the ability and the means and the opportunity to teach God's Word through these podcast Bible studies on such a widespread basis through the medium of the internet and by means of these podcasts. We're thankful that you're there. We're thankful that we're here with you through these podcasts so that we're opening up God's Word together and that we're learning. We're thankful that you want to know more from God's Word. Since faith comes by hearing the Word of God, Romans 10 and verse 17, as you continue to study with us through these podcasts, your faith should be growing, and thereby you should be coming closer to God. Our prayers are with you, and our prayers are for you. We encourage you to help others in your life to grow stronger in their faith, to come closer to God by sharing these short studies with them every time you have the opportunity. You can do that through Facebook friends, text messages, and other technological means. But help people in your life grow in their faith by sharing these studies with family members, friends, work associates, neighbors, with literally everybody you can all the time. You may help somebody turn their life around and even get to heaven. And that'll be certainly a great blessing for them but it will also be a great blessing for you. We're going to get farther along in our study from the book of Jude. Again, a short one-chapter letter as it's laid out for us in our English Bibles, but it is filled with instruction. And really, the instruction, to a great extent, if you want to say, here's a theme for the book of Jude, or this short letter written by Jude, and we believe probably the one of the biological or physical brothers of Jesus, since he identifies himself as a brother of James. And we understand that to that James to be that penman that God guided, inspired through the Holy Spirit to write the five-chapter letter of James. And we believe that he was a physical or biological brother of Jesus. So if Jude is a brother of James, then we can understand that he is most likely one of the physical brothers of Jesus. Now, if you want to look at a theme for this one chapter letter or book, as we commonly think of it, I think we'd probably say, watch out for false teachers. Now, maybe a broader scope of the, of the thrust of this letter, the main emphasis would be hold fast to the true doctrines or teachings of Christianity. And then coupled with that would certainly be Jude focusing upon watching out for, being aware of, and not being taken in by false teachers. False teachers are out there all over the place. And they often stand in a pulpit of a church building someplace. They have a Bible in their hand or one laying before them. And they claim to be teaching the New Testament doctrines of Christianity. And yet, you will find that continually they do not stay true to those teachings. 
Now, a lot of times, in fact, many times, I believe that those false teachers are sincere in what they're trying to teach. They're just sincerely in error. They're wrong. We need to stay true to the teachings of God's Word. I've learned over many years of teaching and preaching and studying God's Word and listening to others uh, try to get across what they believe as gospel preachers or teachers, I believe that a whole lot of people they form their belief system of Christianity based upon what they have been told in their lives growing up perhaps and then later as they had tried to become Christians themselves. They, what they're told. Now, I'm afraid that a whole lot of the time they don't do a great deal of deep study on some of the basic doctrines of Christianity. They don't do a, lot, a great deal of deep study themselves to see if what they've been told is really in conformity with what the Scripture references teach. And, and there's the problem. There's the problem. We need to not just read what some brother or sister or preacher or writer within our religious group has written down saying this is what we should believe, we need to read the scriptures and see what they say we need to believe because that is God's word. We keep emphasizing in our studies together what the Apostle Paul wrote in 2 Timothy 3 and verse 16, all scripture is given by inspiration of God. Now, that means, again, literally, it is God's very word. Most literally, the, the understanding is all Scripture is God-breathed. In other words, coming from God's very mouth, if you can conceive of God having a mouth. Of course, he's spirit, so we don't know exactly what his, uh, his appearance you know, looks like, but there's the image that we can relate to. That's the image we can relate to. And, and Peter, the apostle, also wrote that no prophecy of Scripture is of any private interpretation. Now, a whole lot of people will say, well, you interpret it that way, we interpret it this way. And then, you know, this group over here, they interpret it a different way from either one of us. And, and it's just, just so we all have a sincere heart, just so we all believe in God and Christ and we all trying to get to heaven. We're just going in different ways, and it's just a matter of, of interpretation. Peter says, uh-uh. No prophecy of Scripture is a matter of private interpretation, but holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the will of God, as they were moved, I'm sorry, as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. Now, again, prophecy, no prophecy came by the will of man, Peter says there, but holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. So it's not a matter of private interpretation. And we could make the application to just a common kind of um, experience, you know, what if somebody says they're driving along in, in, their, in their vehicle, they're driving down the street, they come to a traffic light, and the traffic light is red, and they drive right through it. And so a policeman's been not very far away, sees what happens, he turns on his light, he turns on his siren, he pulls them over, starts to write a ticket. And the driver says, whoa, 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 what are you doing? I'm writing a citation. You ran a traffic light. That was a stoplight back there. Now, how far do you think the, the driver would get if he tried to reason with the policeman saying, wait a minute, wait a minute. That's a matter of private interpretation. Or that's a matter of interpretation, rather. 
You interpret that red light one way, I interpret it a different way. How far do you think that line of reasoning would get? <laughs> uh, not far at all, right? Well, now that would be by comparison to what we're talking about in reference to God's word, that would be a rather trivial comparison. And yet we understand that it would hold no weight whatsoever because law is law. Truth is truth. And it's not a matter of private interpretation. Well, when we come to the scriptures, that particular reality is even more firm, even more cemented as truth. What God's word says, it's not a matter of private interpretation. It's God's interpretation. And we are to understand it in the same way and make the same basic application as to doctrine, that is, true teachings of Christianity. Well, we're going to go back and begin with verse 12, and just to, again, set the, the stage for this particular immediate context of Scripture. But we've, we've looked through, and we've gone into some detail over the first, we've actually gone through verse 15 to this point, but I want to, again, just kind of, for continuity's sake, draw it all together. We'll begin with verse 12 today. These are spots in your love feasts. While they feast with you without fear, serving only themselves, they are clouds without water, carried about by the winds, late autumn trees without fruit, twice dead, pulled up by the roots. Now, who are these spots? Who are these clouds without water? Who are these autumn trees that bear no fruit? They're false teachers. You look at the, at the context there, that's, what, that's how Jude is describing them. Very illustrative language, very image-rich. He goes on and says, raging waves of the sea, foaming up their own shame, wandering stars, for, for whom is reserved the blackness of darkness forever. So again, very image-rich, illustrative figures that uh, figures of speech that, that are meant to illustrate the emptiness of the false teachings that are being taught by these false teachers. They're leading people astray. They're not leading people into salvation through Christ. They're leading them away from salvation, in effect. In verse 14, he goes on and says, Now Enoch, the seventh from Adam, prophesied about these men, saying, Behold, the Lord comes with ten thousands of his saints to execute judgment on all, to convict all who are ungodly among them of all their ungodly deeds, which they have committed in an ungodly way, and of all the harsh things which ungodly sinners have spoken against him. Again, I emphasized when we looked at this last time, <laughs> Jude uses that term ungodly four times in that one verse. Now, maybe that's for the sake of emphasis that these false teachers are exercising ungodly practices in what they're, what they're teaching. They're leading people astray. Now, let's pick up with verse 16 today. These are grumblers, complainers, walking according to their own lusts, and they, have, they, they mouth great swelling words, flattering people to gain advantage. Now, let me ask you a question. How do false teachers, how do they do their work? How do they 
try to accomplish their false teaching. Now, we've already established that false teachers in their false teaching lead people astray from the truth of God's word. Remember what Jesus said in John 8 and verse 32, you shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free. In verse 31, he said, if you'll abide in my word, you are my disciples indeed. So we have to stay in the true word of of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And from the broader perspective, the whole Bible of the word of God, we have to stay true to God's word, true to the teachings of New Testament Christianity communicated to us through God's word written down in the New Testament scriptures. We have to stay true to those teachings in order to truly be a faithful disciple or follower of Jesus Christ. And only by staying true to those teachings can we be set free from the guilt and condemnation of sin. Now, we need to understand this. False teaching is not a minor problem. It's not a slight matter. False teaching is sin. That's sinful to teach teaching that is contradictory to the New Testament scriptures. It's not okay to teach something that's oh just shaded a little bit off. We remember continually what John wrote in the closing verses of the Revelation, Revelation 22, verses 18 and 19. He said, we're to not add anything to these words, and I testify to everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book, if anyone adds to these things, God will add to him the plagues that are written in this book. And if anyone takes away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God shall take away his part from the book of life, from the holy city, and from the things which are written in this book. I actually had a couple of young men tell me one time many years ago that that only applied, that, that prohibition to not adding anything to the teachings of this book only applied to the book of Revelation. Because you see, they were trying to bring some new teaching in, something in addition to this, the, the, uh, the Holy Scriptures of the Bible. They had their own book or maybe two or three books. And so they were trying to, to teach out of those books. Well, those were not God's word. And when I pointed out this particular text of Scripture to them in Revelation 22, verses 18 and 19, they said, yeah, yeah that, that applies only to the book of Revelation. Well, what about when we read the same basic instruction in Deuteronomy 4 and verse 2? And again in Deuteronomy 12 and verse 32. And Proverbs chapter 30, verses 5 and 6. And Galatians chapter 1, verses 6 through 9. And we could go on and on. Do those particular condemnations of adding anything to the words that God has guided the writers to write only apply to the book of Deuteronomy, to the book of Proverbs, to the book of Galatians, to the book of Jude, to the book of Revelation? Now, you see how absurd such a position would be. Of course, they apply to all of God's word. And so it's interesting. And we have noted that, that when we're reading the book of Jude, that there's 
a lot of parallelism between what Jude wrote and what Peter wrote. And so in verse 16, when it says they are grumblers, these are grumblers. Now again, how does a false teacher work? Well, a lot of times they'll try to gain some kind of or some degree of a following within a church behind the scenes. And they'll get in a private setting with, you know, a family or two or two or three members of that particular church, and they'll start putting down what is being taught by the preacher or by maybe the elders or the leaders within the congregation in Bible classes and so on. They say, you know, that's, that's, that's old stuff. You know, that's not really what, what, what they're saying is not really what it means and all that. And so they'll start grumbling about what is being done and what's going on and what's being taught. And they will have some effect a lot of times in persuading some people who may be somewhat, you know, disconcerted, you know, displeased with that particular church group to begin with. They'll start gaining a following by influencing them to be listening to them and agreeing with them to one degree or another. Well, and then those people might talk to some others. They might get a bigger group and they start, well, and that's so... Grumbling is one way that false teachers work. Complainers, it's simply, essentially the same thing. Complaining about what's, you know, what's going on? What are we doing? You know, what are we, what, you know, what are we teaching and so on? Walking according to their own lusts. Now, that's key. It's their own desires that they're really focusing upon. They want to gain this following in a whole lot of cases. Now, as I said, there are a whole lot of false teachers who are sincere in what they believe. They're just sincerely wrong. But there are some, and I'd say quite a number, quite a percentage of false teachers, they want to gain a following. They've got prestige in their mind. They've got money in their mind. If they can get a following, then they can start getting a whole lot of money coming into their own pockets in a whole lot of cases. Well, these are grumblers. These are complainers. They're walking according to their own lusts, and they mouth great swelling words. Interesting. They mouth great swelling words. Uh, Peter writes about that as well. In, in 2 Peter and chapter 2, and we look at verse 18. Notice, Peter says, for when they speak great swelling words of emptiness, well, remember those clouds without water back there? They allure through the lust of the flesh, through lewdness, the ones who have actually escaped from those who live in error. So where, where do false teachers work? They work within the church, don't they? And they try to lead those people who have prayerfully and hopefully become true Christians, they try to lead them away from what they have come to, to, to believe, what they have been taught as the truth of God's word. And so they, are, they use great swelling words of emptiness. Now, words that sound flattering, perhaps, words that sound impressive, and through, those, through their language, they, they some, in some cases, impress those who are listening to them, flatter them, make them feel, 
you know, important themselves, you can be a part of this movement, you know, <laughs> the ones who have actually escaped from those who live in error. So they're leading, <clears throat> they're leading true Christians, forgiven Christians, saved Christians away from their salvation. They're leading them into error. They're using, they're, they're flattering people to gain advantage. Flattering people, interesting, isn't it? Uh, and so again, trying to make friends, supposedly, and perhaps mostly on a surface level basis because they're simply trying to gain a following. And then verse 17, he goes on and says, but you beloved, remember the words which were spoken before by the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ, how they told you that there would be mockers in the last time who would walk according to their own ungodly lusts. These are sensual persons, sensual persons. Interesting word, isn't it? Uh, worldly, okay? Worldly persons who cause divisions, who cause divisions, not having the spirit. So remember, he says, you were told, remember what you were told. Remember what you were told. False teachers were coming. When we look again at Second Peter, we look at Second Peter chapter 3 this time in verse 2, that you may be mindful of the words which were spoken before by the holy prophets and of the commandment of us, the apostles of our Lord and Savior, knowing this first, that scoffers will come in the last days, walking according to their own lusts, and saying, where is the promise of his coming? Well, see, Peter dealt with that in detail. False teachers, some of them even, even questioning whether Jesus actually died on the cross, whether he actually arose from the tomb. Now, do you realize that there are, there are preachers out there, there are teachers out there who call themselves Christians, who are questioning whether Jesus actually did what the New Testament gospel accounts said he did, that he really died on that cross before they put him in the tomb, that he was really dead in that tomb, that he really arose from the grave? And you realize that there are people out there, teachers supposedly, of, of supposedly of God's word, questioning whether we can believe the creation account in Genesis chapter 1, whether the, the flood in Noah's day was really a worldwide flood? Whether did, did God really destroy all of mankind and all of the animals upon the earth with the exception of Noah and his family and the animals that God sent into the ark that Noah and his, and his family built? Do you realize if we start, if we start you know, casting doubt on these basic teachings of God's word, well, how do we know what else we could believe. Oh, but those false teachers, they'll tell you what you can believe because they figured it out supposedly. Or in some cases, maybe they will say openly, we don't really know about this or about this, whatever text it might be in God's word. Well, how do you know what to believe then? You see, again, these are false teachers they are clouds without water. They are autumn trees that bear no fruit. 
they are raging waves of the, of the sea, foaming up their own shame. Stars that are wandering, for whom is reserved the blackness of darkness forever. God has given us his word, and we need to respect it as his word. We need to remember the words spoken by the apostles, by our Lord and Savior, by God himself, through the scriptures in his word, the Bible. And we've been warned that these false teachers were coming. There would be mockers, and as we pointed out, Peter talked about that as well. When we look at 1 Timothy chapter 4, 1 Timothy chapter 4, and I want us to, to look beginning with verse 1. 1 Timothy chapter 4, beginning with verse 1. And, and Paul wrote here, The Spirit expressly says that in latter times some will depart from the faith, giving heed to deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons. What would be doctrines of demons? Well, somebody might read that in kind of a surface-level basis and not understand the deeper meaning there. They might say, that must be demonic worship. That must be worshiping the devil. <laughs> what he's really talking here is false teaching. False teaching. The devil's behind all false teaching. He's just using the lips of some human being putting forth that false teaching. And then Paul goes on in verse 2. He says, speaking lies in hypocrisy having their own conscience seared with a hot iron. And then he gives some examples that we see out there right now, right today, and that have been out there for quite some time, forbidding to marry. Why would somebody stand, supposedly as a teacher of God's word, and say there are some people who are forbidden to marry, such as priests in one huge denomination, our maybe even more than one huge denomination, uh, abstaining from foods which God created to be received with thanksgiving. Well, why? where do we get the scriptural authority to order members of the church to say, you can't eat certain foods? That's not scriptural. That's made up by man. And so we need to understand the false teacher's have been out there almost since the church came into existence, almost since Jesus ascended back to heaven. There were false teachers when Jesus was here. They denied that he was, that he is God the Son, the Savior, the prophesied Messiah come to this earth. They did not believe the message of his gospel. They were false teachers. And since the church was established, the devil has been busy influencing false teacher after false teacher to put forth some kind of contradictory teaching to what God's word really says. We need to be on guard. Remember what Jude wrote in verse 3 of this short letter. Beloved, while I was, while I was very diligent to write to you concerning our common salvation, I found it necessary to write to you, exhorting you to contend earnestly for the faith, which was once for all delivered to the saints. There's no new Bible coming down from heaven. God has delivered the faith once for all to mankind. Let's pray. 
Father in heaven, thank you for loving us and thank you for blessing us with your word. And please guide us to dig deep into your word so that we can know your truth and thereby recognize error when it is being taught. And bless us to be able to lovingly but firmly refute it accurately, all according to your will and to your glory, Father. Please forgive us and hear our prayer, gracious Father. In Jesus' name, amen.